0: great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness morning by Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the Word great is thy faithfulness Well, good morning, Christchurch. I'm excited. I love that I got that. Somebody even said my name. That makes me feel so special. Uh, If you don't know me, uh, if you're a visitor this morning, I want to say welcome. My name is John Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, We are going to be diving back into the book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn there and let me read and then we'll pray and dive in. So the word of God says this for us this morning. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And when the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order that in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a chance to gather, to open your word, and to hear from you. Father, I ask that this time we would hear from you learn more about you, your love for us, and our need for you. And we pray this all in the name of your son. Amen. All right, so let's talk about what's happening here. Um, Again, we have another narrative passage, uh, passage, right? Um, Paul is describing an, an event that happens to these Galatian believers, and this is like uh, a, a big moment of drama. This is just a few verses, so it may not seem like it to you, but this is a moment of, of high drama, right? If this were nowadays, like if this were happening now, there would be in the comments section like a meme of Michael Jackson eating popcorn, just saying like, yeah, I'm here for the show, or, okay, some of you guys know where I'm, <laughs> know where I'm at, right? So this is, this is uh, what's, what's happening here is this moment of, of big, big drama, See, the reason why this is a big deal is because two of the the leading apostles of the church in the early days were having a very difficult, very public conflict. And so let's dive in. Let's figure out what this drama is about. This isn't drama for the sake of drama. So what's going on here? So Last week, the scene unfolded in Jerusalem, right? We looked at that, the section where Paul journeys to Jerusalem. Uh, if you look back at verses 1 through 10, Paul goes to Jerusalem, to the center of the Jewish world of the day, where the early church first gathered. And so he is there, he journeys there, and he meets with Peter and some others. But this scene here now takes place. We go from Jerusalem then to Antioch now, Antioch was the, the capital of the province of Syria in, in the Roman Empire. This was one of the, the chief Roman cities of Asia of the day. This is not a city of just Jews only, but you have, you have uh, Acts tells us there are Hellenists there, there are Romans, there are Cyprians, there are uh, Cyrenians, there are all of these people that have gathered in Antioch, and it is not a Jewish city. Acts chapter 11, you see that Antioch was actually the first location of this first Gentile mission where the disciples actually were first called Christians, right? They first called themselves Christians because they couldn't identify with the Jewish uh, nature of, of the, the early church because they were not Jewish by nature. And so they began to call themselves Christians. And this is important to, to notice the distinction uh, between Jerusalem and and that we saw last week, and Antioch of this week. It's important because when, when Paul visited Jerusalem, as we saw in those first 10 verses, Peter, James, and John, right, it said extended the right hand of fellowship to him. Right, but now we're in Antioch, and when Peter comes to Antioch, it says that Paul opposed him to his face. That's not not exactly the friendly welcome being reciprocated, right? So what's the difference? What happened between then and now? We know that, that Paul and Peter, right, were both godly men, men of God. They both knew what it meant to be forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. They both knew what it meant to have received the Holy Spirit. And what's more, they were both apostles of Jesus Christ, meaning they were those who were specially commissioned by Christ himself for the task of spreading the truth of the gospel and his church. They were both well-respected in the early church for their leadership and the care in which they showed to the people of God. They had both been used in powerful and amazing ways, right, throughout um, the book of Acts. So much so that the book of Acts you can really divide into two chapters, right? What happened with Peter in the first half and what happened with Paul in the second So, our text this morning, right? We get back to this. We have these two men of God, right? And Paul is opposing the Apostle Peter to his face. He is contradicting him, right? Rebuking him, condemning him in front of others. Why? What's the issue? Well, look at verse 12 from our text this morning. Look at verse 12. It says, because he had withdrawn and separated himself from the Gentile Christian believers and would no longer eat with them. Right, so listen, this is not a small issue, like he didn't enjoy the food they ate, right? This is not some simple thing. This was a tremendous issue. To be clear, this was not a fight, right? This wasn't Paul jealous of Peter and what Peter had, and so he's going to put him in his place. This isn't some sort of, of com- competitive teachers with opposing systems of theology, right? They didn't have contrary systems of theology, and he was standing in opposition to Peter because he had a different way and knew better, right? Paul had spent the previous 10 verses talking about how uh, and explaining how he and the Jerusalem apostles were literally on the the same page in their understanding of the gospel. If you look back at verse 9, right, uh, it says, When James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, Paul says, they gave to me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. And then for, for clarity, he repeats the fact that they are believing the same thing, That they are on the same page in in verses 15 and 16 of our text this morning where it says, And we, that is Paul and Peter, know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So clearly this, this disagreement is not about the content of the gospel. But rather it is the conduct of the apostle who is proclaiming it. Right, look back at 14 from our text. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I opposed, or I said to Cephas, and he called him out, right? So you see, it was, not the, it was the conduct of Peter and the other Jewish believers that put Paul up in arms. Okay, so what's the nature of, of this conflict, right? This this conduct. What what was so reprehensible about it? The nature of this conflict was due to the hypocrisy of Peter's conduct. You see, when faced with pressure, it says from these these men from James, this group from James. Um, which was kind of the, the James was like the, the pastor, the lead pastor of the, the Jerusalem church that was meeting there. And it doesn't say they came with his authority. In fact, um, Acts makes that clear, right? He wasn't speaking on James's, they weren't speaking on James's behalf, but they came representing that fact, acting like they were something important, right? And said, oh, we're from James. Um, but uh, when, when Peter was, was faced with pressure from these men, his conduct shifted, right? And the word used there is hypocrisy. What a word, right? That always gets people up in arms, hypocrisy. But it's such a beautiful word picture in the Greek and for these these believers here that must have been reading Galatians at the time and hearing this word, uh, it literally translates the word hypocrisy. It means an interpreter from underneath or to be speaking from underneath. And it comes from this, this classical uh, Greek drama and, and uh, acting, the way they spoke. It was a method in which the stage actors wore, wore masks, right, on their, on their faces, and they spoke their lines and played their parts from underneath the mask. The mask was, was in effect, the role or the part in which the actor played and um, they existed underneath it. And so what's happening here is Paul is calling out this hypocrisy in Peter and in these Jewish believers, right? He is, he is accusing Peter of speaking out from underneath a mask, masking himself and his true convictions. Paul was saying Peter, Peter took, uh, essentially took the pulse of the room, right, right? And said, okay, I don't want to deal with the issues that are going to arise from these guys that, that are from James, from Jerusalem, from my home turf. I don't want to deal with that, right? He took the pulse of the room and chose not to behave according to the truth of the gospel, but rather behaved in a way that he was acting a part. And so, so Peter is saying, there's a, or Paul is saying, there's a hypocrisy in which the way in which you are conducting yourself, you are playing a part, right? Underneath a mask for who you truly are. Peter, who we saw only a few verses earlier, right, in verse 9, had agreed with Paul on the nature of the truth of the gospel. We now see that his hypocrisy was such that that what he, he said he believed as the gospel, he was now denying by the conduct with which he was conducting his life. Peter had been proclaiming freedom from the law in Christ Jesus. He had been saying that there is now no difference between Jew or Gentile, but then he was behaving differently, right? He was saying one thing and doing another. And if anyone had been able to understand this message clearly, this understanding of the removal of the barriers between Jew and Gentile, it was Peter, if you look back to Acts 11, you can see Peter literally answering the exact same question, right? Acts 11, three. You can see he is, he is answering the same question. This faction of the circumcision party, these Judaizers, those, if, if that doesn't track with you, if that doesn't make sense with you, the, the circumcision party was, was these, these people who said, yes, okay, Jesus is good, but you must obey the law in its entirety. The law of the, the Jewish uh the People, you must be circumcised. You must eat and do the things. Gentiles and Jews cannot eat meals together because they would be unclean. And so all of these laws still applied. And so fearing in, in, in Acts 11, fearing the circumcision party, right, this faction of the circumcision party, he answers them about why he is eating with these non-Jews. It's literally the same situation he's currently in in Galatians, and he answers them, and he is telling them about a vision that he had received, right? You have this beautiful vision that Peter receives from God, and I'm not gonna read through the whole thing because we'll be here all day, but you have this this vision which essentially a a great sheet is lowered down, and on it you see all of these animals which according to Jewish customs were unclean to eat, and um, he hears a voice and it's saying, take and kill and eat, right? And it, the whole vision culminates with Paul or Peter's understanding that the dividing lines between the people were no more. He goes on with these Gentiles to, the, to, to Joppa and proclaims uh, the truth of the gospel, right? And he sees the Holy Spirit fall upon these Gentiles in the same manner and way it did with the Jews during Pentecost. And so that story culminates and comes to a conclusion in Acts 7, or 11, 17, with Peter telling the disciples of this story. He says, if then God gave the same gift to them, the Gentiles, as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who am I that I could stand in God's way? And so he, he understands more than anyone else this clear message of what God intended the gospel to be the truth of the gospel. You see, of course, uh, in, in, this, in this chapter, there's no hint that Peter had reneged on his, his promise or his understanding. There was no hint that he had reconsidered his stance on the vision and said, maybe that was just a bad night, right? It was, it was not a reconsideration. He had not changed his mind about these Gentile believers. In fact, even as the story begins, right, it says he is eating with these Gentile believers until these men from James come, and then he pulls back. So even at the beginning, he is agreeing with, with his, his stance. So why? Why did Paul pull back from fellowshipping with and eating with these Gentiles in Antioch? What happened? Paul tells us in verses 12 and 13 it says. He separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And with him, the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. So Paul's charge is is serious. It is that Peter and these other Jewish believers in Antioch acted out of fear. Fear. Not from some personal conviction, nor was it prompted by any sort of deep theological understanding, but rather it was out of fear of a small group of people, these men from James. Fear was what was driving Peter here. And it was not the only time, right, that fear controlled his actions. What a, what a fitting topic that we come to this on Palm Sunday, right? We are headed into the Passion Week of Jesus Christ. His most difficult hours. And again, Peter's fear pops up. This is the same Peter who, in fear of unknown events and and getting out of control, lobs off the ear of a soldier. This is the same Peter who, in in fear. Of a little servant girl denied Jesus Christ. And now we see him denying him again out of fear of this circumcision party, right? The same, the same Peter who in faith stepped out of the boat and walked on water, but in fear took his eyes off of him and saw the waves, and fear of the waves doubted and began to sink. You see, he he truly believed the gospel, but he failed in practice to keep his eyes on Jesus Christ. In in the the text this morning, it says his conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. His courage did not meet his conviction. Peter was fearful, right? Maybe of, of being wrong in front of these men who said they came from James, he didn't want to be called out. Maybe it was fear of being looked down on, fear of being ostracized by the Jewish believers back in Jerusalem. He was a fearful man, and it was, again, stopping him from obedience to the truth of the gospel. You see, brothers and sisters, he, he was valuing the opinions of men over the approval of God. And this morning, we might, we might do well to ask ourselves what fears it is in our own hearts and lives that are causing our conduct not to match the content of the gospel which we claim we believe. You see, the, the charge of hypocrisy is a damning one. So many non-believers critique the church, right? That's like the, the one they throw out. It's a, just a bunch of hypocrites. That's the the thing you hear over and over again. I'd go to church if it wasn't full of people, full of hypocrites. Full of those who claim grace for themselves, but yet try to tie a yoke of law around others. And so as we reflect on Paul's charge to, to Peter, we might consider the same. Are we acting under a mask? Are we play acting when it suits us? At school, at work, at social gatherings, around certain Christian groups? Are we speaking from under a mask? The hypocrisy, this hypocrisy of Peter. was not an isolated event. And meaning by that, not one that affected him alone. His hypocrisy, our our text reminds us in in verse 13, threw the whole of the Antioch church into chaos. Look again, it says, And with him, the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically, so that even Barnabas was carried away swept up in their hypocrisy right uh, a a leader in a position of leadership does not act and affect him alone and let this be a word of warning to us all. If you have any place in leadership, and that does not mean just here, but in, in your home, in friend groups, in small groups, in youth uh, groups, in, in the church or in ministry, you, your, your conduct will have a tremendous effect on the people around you. There's a quote, and I can't remember who said it, uh, that reminds, reminds pastors that the conduct of their lives will stop the people from listening long before the words they speak. And so there's this understanding that this conduct has a tremendous effect on those around us. And it says that the hypocrisy of Peter and the other Jews was so complete that even Paul's trusted friend, right, you can hear the angst in which Paul says these words. Even Barnabas was swept up in this chaos, this madness of hypocrisy. Paul's trusted friend, his fellow worker in in the ministry, Barnabas, right, was led astray from the truth of the gospel. Barnabas, you remember, was was the the loving, the faithful, the kind-hearted Barnabas, known as, as the son of encouragement, right? The one who was with Paul in Antioch. In fact, he was the one who went to find Paul, newly converted Paul, who was just moments before Saul of Tarsus, murdering, killing, and ending lives, right? He found him and said, come with me, let us do this work together, and brought him there to Antioch, and they began to minister there together and see great works in the truth of the gospel. And now Paul, we read that Paul's, to Paul's sorrow Peter's hypocrisy has even led astray faithful Barnabas. And this should, should, should be a, a, a reminder to us all, right, to be discerning, even from voices we think we trust, to be discerning and to listen to the word and to the truth, and to follow first not, not boldness, not well-spokenness, but truth. That adheres to the Word of God, and so you have this picture of Peter's hypocrisy. And in contrast to that, you see Paul's integrity. You see that there are there this this situation is not just a difference of opinion. You've got two schools of thought, right? That's not what what's unfolding here. This is P- Paul confronting Peter. Peter was clearly wrong in this situation, right? Verse 13 says, he stood condemned. So we are, for for the most part, a conflict-adverse society, right? We go along to get along, some more than others. But we are a conflict-adverse society. We, We find these moments to be while, while entertaining to watch it happen like on TV, we find them to be rather uncomfortable and off-putting to be in. But there is a, such a thing as, as godly conflict, right? And I think about this every time, I, every time this comes up when, when people are pursuing opinions over truth, right? There was a church uh, in a town I used to live in that literally divided, the church existed because of the color of the carpet and the walls at the previous church that they met in. And that's like not a joke. Like that church existed for 50 plus years because of a spat that happened, not from the word of God, but from like the book of first opinions, right? It was, it was uh, complete nonsense. But here you see conflict happening. Right? Conflict is unfolding, but what we have to look at is, is the only measuring stick we can use when, when in conflict, in these situations, is the truth of the gospel. And so when the truth of the gospel is undermined by sin and by error, men, uh, we are called God... God's people are called to, in love and in truth, correct. And so this is what we see here. Paul is not hesitating, right? He's not hesitating out of deference for who Peter is. Oh, he's one of the 12. Let me, let me whisper some correction to him. It is not out of deference for who he is. It is not for the fact that, you know, well, he was a pillar of the church, right? He said that in the previous text from last week. He was one of the pillars of the church. Paul perceived that. He wasn't hesitating out of deference. He knew he was a pillar of the church. He knew he was apostle, an apostle. He knew he was one of the 12, but none of that stopped him from opposing Peter and, and doing it publicly, right? Peter's withdrawal from these gentile believers had caused a public scandal and so he had to be opposed publicly so in light of peter's conduct paul's rebuke was both in verse 11 to his face and in verse 14 before them all and i love the clarity of those statements because it ble- it leaves no doubt as to what is happening and how awkward that situation would be, especially like, maybe y'all are okay with it, and maybe I'm in putting my own thoughts on y'all. I'm super uncomfortable in conflict, so these words are really good for me. Like, I'm very much a peacekeeper, if you haven't figured that out. So, um, the, the awkwardness, the sheer awkwardness of what's unfolding would just be so, um, I, I don't know, probably enjoyable for some people, but existing there. But you see it unfolding. You see Paul was, was not speaking from annoyance. And this is, this is what we need to be clear on. Paul was not speaking from some annoyance that his friends betrayal, right? He was mad that Peter had corrupted Barnabas and he wanted payback, right? That's not the, that's not the conflict that's happening here. And this was not a confrontation because he felt that Peter was not measuring up to some sort of expectation that Paul had placed on him. No, Paul's, Paul's passionate display of integrity was for the sake of the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel, right? In the last 16 verses, that phrase pops up twice. In both times, Paul goes into action as a response, right? In verse five from last week, we see that he did not yield even an inch in submitting to these false teachers. And now in verse 14, Peter calls out in front of everyone because he saw the church in Antioch being led astray by those not in step, in sync with the truth of the gospel. So what is the truth of the gospel that has Paul in such a tizzy? Verse 16, right, makes that clear. Final verse of our text this morning, he says, And yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He reminds Peter, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by the works of the law, no one is justified. It is that nothing done by man brings about justification, meaning you are made right before your savior and your creator. Nothing done by man brings about salvation. It is by faith in Christ alone. Paul knew that Anything less than this truth would result in a split of God's church into two groups, right? You'd have the Jewish believers and the Gentiles. This was not a a thing that was causing unity, but division, not bringing people closer to Christ and to the truth of his word, but rather bringing it closer to their own perceptions and opinions. And what he is reminding Peter of is that God is if God justifies both the Jew and the Gentile on the same terms, through faith in Christ, he's saying, who are we to withhold our love, friendship, and fellowship from these believers unless they're circumcised? And if if God doesn't require circumcision or any work of the law before he accepts them, then how in the world could we, he tells Peter, as Jews, put this criteria upon them that God doesn't do himself. And he says, and if God accepts them, how can we reject them? And if he receives them into his family as sons and daughters, how can we deny them a seat at our table? In his commentary on this section, John Stott summarizes it with a reminder of Paul's words in Romans chapter 15, verse 17. A reminder to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And so finally, Paul reminds him that Peter himself has been justified by faith in Jesus. He not only knew the doctrine of justification, but he himself had acted on it and believed it in Jesus Christ in order to be justified. And so you have this this picture of this conflict unfolding over the truth of the gospel because of the hypocrisy in which they were living out their lives. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you and encourage you of a a simple thing before we go. And it's this question here. Do we say that we believe in the gospel as Peter did? Do we strive to preserve it as Paul and the Jerusalem apostles did, but these men of the circumcision did not? And did we apply it to our lives so that we are, as the text says, in step with the gospel. In step with, in sync with, keeping a tempo, right? Like tapping a foot to the favorite song, your favorite song, it's this idea of keeping step, keeping pace with, following. Are you walking daily in the truth that you believe? You see, Peter, what's being called out here? This conflict arose because Peter failed to do this. He, he, he failed to keep step. And what's more concerning is that he was playing a part. He knew perfectly well that faith in Jesus was the only condition in which God would have fellowship with sinners. But in fear of these outsiders, these group from this circumcision party, um, in fear from them and the list of requirements they kept in order to have fellowship with them, he began to play a part, right? He was in opposition to the gospel with which he was proclaiming. And again, I think of Palm Sunday where we're at this morning, right? Brothers and sisters, like, this is the, the moment where Christ enters Jerusalem, right? Palms are being put down. Hosanna, Hosanna to the king is being proclaimed. He is welcomed into the city like a king to his, his homecoming, to his coronation. And yet five days later, they will kill him upon a cross, right? A week later, he dies. He goes from king to crucified. They were playing a part. So as we close, I want us to examine ourselves this morning. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, if you believe the truth of the gospel, right? If you do not know the truth of the gospel yet, that is a different story and I would love to talk to you. We have people in the back that would love to talk to you about that as well. But if you are in Christ, are you keeping a list of things? that people need to do as a Christian to be worthy of your association? Are their political opinions, their, their homeschool affiliation, right? Their parenting style, are those fellowshipping deal breakers? Do you claim the grace of Christ in your salvation but make distinctions with whom you associate in Christ? The call of Christ is the truth of the and the truth of the gospel is that our justification is by him alone. So my challenge to you would be to examine your hearts and ask yourselves, is there a mask that I am wearing? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and for the truth of the gospel that we are not justified by our works, by our deeds, by our abilities, but by Christ alone. And Christ alone is our hope found. Father, I thank you for examples like this this morning where in a difficult situation, your truth One, Father, I would ask that whether in our own hearts we are allowing a mask to be worn or in desire to have peace above all things, like Barnabas, we are being swept away, I pray that you would awaken our hearts to the truth of your word that we would seek you first in love and in truth. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen.
1: Praise God from whom
0: all blessings flow. Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at christchurchkingwood.org.